Good morning and welcome to Warehouse. If you're here visiting, um, you'll see a card nearby you. Well, you'll see two cards. Go for the blue one, not the purple. And the blue card is our connecting card if you want any information. Anytime during the service, if a question comes up, something you're thinking about, something you're wondering about, check that information. There's a couple ways you can get it to us. When we do an offering later in the service, you can drop in the basket or we have yellow boxes by both exit doors where you can drop that in there. At uh, Warehouse, we're in the middle of a series called The Power of Hope. And this is the third week of that series. And it's based upon the letter to the Colossians. Now, a couple things. Number one, right there on the screen is the entirety of the letter to the Colossians. Now, I can't read it, but I bet some of you can. The point is, though, you can read an entire book. Tell your friends, I read a book today. You can read an entire book. It's really a letter, you know. But we call it a book in less than an hour. That's the entirety of the letter. We've encouraged you, as we're going through this series, to read this a couple of times, two, three times during this series. It's quite easy to do. In fact, in the back kiosk, we have a pamphlet which has the entire letter of the Colossians on it. So pick it up, and one of the things we'll convince you is it's not that much. You can actually do it, and if you read it several times through this, you're going to get the good context about this primary message of the power of hope. One of the things that we're... Um, emphasizing strongly in this series is while we're familiar with hopelessness, we're not as quite as familiar with the power of an active, vital hope to lead us into how we think, how we act, and how we move into the world. And for three weeks now, we've been looking at it. In the first week, talking about hope as a concrete thing. is not something that's perhaps, but something that's solid and out there, which we can live our lives based upon. And then last week, Kirk talked about that hope was based on a person, not a plot line. Not the story, but a person of Jesus who solidifies the hope for our life. This week, we'll explore if hope is real, why is it so hard to hang on to? The band's going to play a song, and uh, a lot of the lyrics struck me, but this is one. Nothing between you and the hurricane. You say, if I'm going to die, then I hope it's not in vain. And to me, that lyric draws out a couple of things. One is life often feels like there's a hurricane out there. If it hasn't hit... It's impending. And in the midst of that, hope can be difficult to hang on to. So this morning, as we begin to explore the solidity of hope and why it's so difficult to hang on to, the band's going to play the song, The Devil and the Liar. So, in a thoroughly rhetorical question, what is it that makes us lose hope. There's probably a lot of reasons, right? When you think about it, there's all sorts of things that make us lose hope. But I think when I distill it, I could be wrong, when I distill it, it seems to me that it's a lot about whatever we wanted just not happening. And, and sometimes we really felt like we needed that thing to happen. It was, it was important to us and to, it either said something about who we are or where we would find happiness and it's something we wanted to happen and it, and it didn't happen. Or sometimes it's something we expected to happen, and then it got ripped away or torn apart. It's when life doesn't go the way we want it, wish it would, hope starts to, to waver. It starts to struggle. And see, the problem is we can't afford that. The, the, the barren truth is we can't live without hope. If you don't, don't believe that your future looks good, that there's something that could turn positively coming forward, it is devastating. And so we spend our lives often patching up hope. 
that appears to have gotten crippled. We're bandaging it, we're stitching it up, we're setting it back on its way because we can't afford to live without hope. We've got to have it. Hope, the lack of it, makes us crazy. You know what it's like. Something you wanted didn't happen. And so you go all sorts of places. Confusion, rationalization. I, I told my son a couple of weeks ago, I, my youngest son, I told him before, I, I said to him, this may be the most profound thing I ever tell you, and it's not going to sound like it. He had just played in a soccer game at a really big tournament in a game that they needed to win. You know, that whole need thing. They needed to win this game, and they lost. And afterwards, the sense of, you know, the thoughts that were flying around from everywhere, from parents to players to, oh, they didn't, the boys didn't show up, and, and, you know, the ref made a bad call. And it was all sorts of stuff like that. And I remember just scratching my head after that game going, why do we have to figure this out? And so I went to Mason and I said, this may be the most profound thing I ever tell you. Sometimes you just lose. There's nothing wrong. Nothing's amiss. It, we're not promised that the next stage of our life is going to go exactly how we want it. Sometimes you just lose. They won the game. You didn't do anything wrong. You played fine. Game's over. Let's move on. Let's not let it be this, this wound, this, this splinter that jabs in that somehow we have to figure out what's wrong with our life. Maybe nothing. When we don't get what we want, it goes to all sorts of places. I can blame you, I can blame me, I can blame God, I can get hopeless and in despair, and it won't serve us well, and so we patch it up, bind it over, don't deal with what's wrong, and move on. Why do we lose hope? Because we base our hope on some circumstance that didn't go our way. And Lord, if we're going to do that, life's going to be a mess. Because unless you, you may be, unless you're living a charmed life, unless you have gone from one high to the next, there are going to be moments, I fear, that didn't come out as you hoped. The Bible offers us a different picture of hope, one that does not lead us captive to our circumstances. It doesn't ignore them by any stretch, but it doesn't lead us captive to them. It doesn't define us by what happens. We don't live on a roller coaster. Apparently, apparently, according to the teaching of Jesus, we have the possibility to live stable, secure, peaceful, and anchored in the midst of all of life. And so, today we walk back in the third week to look at the power of hope. A hope that does not get driven by our circumstances, but a hope that allows us to live very, very powerfully, very proactively, energetically, in the midst of all circumstances of our life. We are back, not surprisingly, in the letter to the Colossians. And I'm going to look today with you just at three verses. And what we're going to do, we're going to wind through verses 21 through 23 of the first chapter. And I'm just going to try to walk this through to the conclusion. The conclusion may actually be surprising to you. 
that I think is the linchpin to us not losing hope in the midst of circumstance of our life. And you were at one time strangers and enemies your minds as expressed through your evil deeds. But now he, that means God, has reconciled you, Jesus, by his physical body through death to present you holy without blemish and blameless before him, if indeed you remain in the faith, established and firm, without shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has also been preached in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become its servants. Okay, as Paul continues to build this case for a solid hope, he drops back and he makes this statement. At one time you were strangers and enemies in your minds is expressed through your evil deeds. I'm going to break this verse apart a little bit because there's some interesting things in it that I think will help us to understand what it is exactly that God has done in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus or if you're questioning what that might look like, this will drop back to ask the question, what was it like before you followed Jesus? And it says this, at one time you were strangers. Now, when, I th- when we think of strangers, you know, stranger danger, stranger is somebody you don't know, right? It's somebody you're totally unfamiliar with. It's, in my opinion, not a great translation of this verse from Greek, and really what it means is to be estranged. The difference between being estranged and being stranger, stranger says, I have no idea who they are. Estranged is, I am familiar with them, but something has happened in our relationship. The biblical picture, the precursor to us finding a real hope for our life, is an understanding that at one time, we were estranged from God. Meant to be familiar. Meant, honestly, to be intimately connected with God. But that we were estranged, separated, disconnected from the one we were made to be connected with. And it says, so one time you were estranged from God. This was your past. And enemies are hostile in your mind. And then it says, through your evil deeds. And, and honestly, in terms of translations, this may be the... It's not a good one. Can I just say that? Really, this, this word evil, I mean, e- through your evil deeds, one, we, it doesn't resonate that much for us. When we think of evil, we only think of like, you know, f- fairy tale, the evil magician and stuff like that. And that word evil, really what it means, almost every other place it's translated as troubled. Like in your life you'll have trouble. It, it, it has this more of this sense of trials, tribulations, difficulties. And so as I looked at this first, this is the picture that God presents of us outside of relationship with him who we were made for, meant to be connected with God. It's our destiny. When that doesn't happen, how does that get expressed? A troubled life. An interior life that is jumbled. That finds it difficult to get a focus, to get peace, to get any constancy or stable hope. Said so one time you were disconnected from God, estranged. And something about your understanding of the world made you actually hostile to God. And how, what did that look like? A troubled life. For, for me, this, uh, you know, this just so resonates with both my life prior to becoming a Christian and the moments in my life since becoming a Christian where it's really felt off. And it is this sense of troubled or restlessness. I'm going to look at, with you at a passage a little bit later that, that seems to say one of the real dif- differences between somebody who is strong in the relationship with God and somebody who's not is this idea of restlessness or being troubled. And Paul seems to get down and says, I know what it felt like. You were troubled. Things, things didn't seem to fit. The, the pieces didn't come together for your life. 
This was the picture. This is life outside of Christ. It is not, this is really important, the Christian life is not God somehow making you a better person. You were a bad person, now you'd be a good person. You were a non-religious person, now you'll be a religious person. The story of the gospel is of people who were disconnected from the God for whom they were made, and so their soul was deeply troubled and always trying to find the answer that made things fit. But then, in verse 22, and again, what Paul is doing, he's recapping to get them and to get us to a certain place. But now, whenever in the Bible you see but now, it's good to listen carefully. It's giving us a big contrast. That's what it was like. But now, this is what's happened. He's reconciled you, which means once estranged, now connected, relationship made right, by his physical body through death to present you holy, without blemish, and blameless before him. The story of the Christian life is that we get presented to God as blameless. It's really important. It doesn't say, then you are blameless, holy and perfect. It says what happened is the physical body of Jesus. He came to earth, he lived, he died to forgive the sin, the waywardness of our lives, our estrangement from God, our pulling away from him. He experienced the separation, the disconnect from God by death for us and made us reconciled to God once again. Now alive to God. Now with the possibility of no longer living a troubled life. I want you to let that sink in there. Now with the possibility of no longer living a troubled life. It does not mean you will not experience trouble, defeat, disappointment, because, remember, profound, sometimes you just lose. But internally, the possibility of no longer living a troubled life, where restlessness and discontent defines you. On the outside, we, after all, are in the southeast in a church. So we're fine. We're always fine. We present a lovely picture. And so few know that internally, what we battle is trouble. Restlessness discontent over what we want, what we long for, what we desire, which hasn't come to fruition. And now in Christ, the possibility of living an untroubled life on the inside. Then Paul says one more thing, and it's a thing we just don't expect. It's not where I expected him to go, quite honestly. And normally what I do, can I just be brutally honest with you? Of course I can, because what are you going to do? I'm going to be brutally honest with you. <clears throat> this is the, the next verse. Verse 23, are the ones we normally do the Jedi mind trick over. Because it seems to me, say now, the key to not living a troubled life is you. See, we want it to say God for lots of reasons. Our theological grid and the sense that it would be, more, it would be better for us if God was in the end responsible. It seems to shift it back to us. That's what it says. If, see, there's the if. If indeed you remain in the faith, established and firm, without shifting 
from the hope that you heard. If. Possibility of a life that's in, on the inside is not troubled. You may experience defeat and loss on the outside, but the inside is not troubled. That has an anchored, secure, peaceful, contented perspective. If you do something. And what it says is the core of what you need to do is not shift. Shifting, in this verse translated really just means don't move from the place where you're at. Don't move. Stay where you are. If you can stay in the place you are. If your hope remains focused in the external presence of the God of the universe who grounds your life. If you remain focused on there. If you don't shift from that. If you hold on to that hope, then you will experience a profound power of hope in your life. If. Back in the, uh, in the uh, Old Testament, there's a, there's a series of, of, of songs. They're called the Psalms. And uh, they're very realistic. And the first, by I mean realistic, it's like they wrote them out of their actual life. They weren't necessarily pretty. They might have been beautiful musically. How would we know? But they're very graphic and realistic. And the first Psalm, this is what it says. It contrasts. In the, in the third verse of the first psalm, it contrasts somebody who is what the Bible would consider to be mature and somebody who's not, somebody who's righteous and somebody who's wicked. It contrasts them, and this is where it makes the contrast. He, the, the, the mature one, the strong one, the righteous one, is like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time. It, its leaves never fall off. It succe- he succeeds in everything he attempts. Not so the wicked. Instead, they are like wind driven chaff. Mature, righteous, like a tree planted. Solid. Grounded. Not shifting. The wicked, like wind-driven chaff. Now, we're not real familiar with chaff. Chaff's like the little stuff inside a weed. It goes, can blow it away. Uh, A guy named Tim Culler once lined a, a better illustration for us. You know what tumbleweeds? You ever seen a tumbleweed blowing? Like go to anywhere in Texas where it's flat and windy and they're tumbleweeds. They're, they're just dry things and wind just takes them everywhere. Understand, that is the biblical difference between somebody who lives a righteous life and somebody who doesn't. One of them is solid and planted and the other one is just going wherever. You see, that is the difference between having an anchor in hope and living our lives based upon what some circumstances tell us hope should be found. Then we are wind-driven chaff. Whatever circumstance happens, that's where we go. Good day, we're going this way. Bad day, we're going that day. Our life is a roller coaster of trouble because life is not going to turn out exactly the way you want it. I wish it would, but it won't. If you remain anchored in a hope that is outside of your circumstances, then you can live the possibility of an untroubled life where on the inside, you know peace. You know powerful action and you do not get paralyzed by what could happen or what just has happened. Now, to me, honestly, that just makes so much sense that why would we ever divert from that? I mean, there you go. I like contentment. I'm all for it. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of peace, and I'm a fan of joy. So why in the world would I not, if 
All I have to do is not move from the place of believing that the person of Jesus, the promises he makes for me, is where I find solid hope for my life. Why would I ever move from that? Because we still don't believe at our core that our life is not defined by what happens next. We still think our circumstances define us. It's not yet sunk in. That who we are, whether or not we're meaningful, whether our lives are mattered by, depends on what happens next, and it doesn't. There's one thing I've probably taught more than anything else over the last eight years, is who you are matters. And it's not what your circumstances tell you. It is this extraordinary being that God created in his image that is meant to find a powerful, centered sense of who you are and live fully out of that. Your circumstances do not define you. If you can remain focused on who God made you to be, anchored in his hopes for you, you can live extremely well. If not, you will flutter and be blown everywhere because sometimes you just lose. I long for contentment. Perhaps the greatest interior battle of my life has been restlessness. Some of it's just who I am. I've thought for years, I've told you this, even in the best of moments, about what's next. Even if the moment now is good, it's what next. Well, what is that about? It's about not grounding my hope in the solidity of a God who loves me, but grounding it in anything else. There's a verse that Nan and I read years ago. So often we have felt like we have rushed from one thing to another. Just... Everything was urgent. Got to get this done. This needs to happen. And then it was her, of course. She's always been more grounded than me. And she came across this verse, which was in my Bible too. <laughs> and it's in First Timothy, which is a letter that Paul wrote to a guy named Timothy. And he said, make it your ambition to live a quiet and peaceful life. I thought to myself, I am unfamiliar with that concept. Make it your ambition to live a quiet and peaceful life. As direct as I can be, we're running too fast. Defining ourselves by stuff that is not worth our time. Failing to find a Believing that somehow the next thing has to happen before we can be okay. My strongest encouragement to you today and to me is find your okay right now. There's a God who loves you, who created you for himself, who established for you an inheritance in heaven, who will never leave you, never depart from you, who has made it his mission and ambition to make your soul whole who created you for peace 
joy, and beauty. And, so, and who right now, not tomorrow, not in six weeks, not when you fix that perplexing and persistent relational problem, right now loves you desperately and doesn't need you to get better for him to love you. And so you are free. What do you got to accomplish? Who who is there left to prove something to? Don't answer that. Because for every one of us, there's somebody in that place. The power of hope, in large measure, living it out, depends upon you and I. See, God has already provided for us. Here's the, here's the, <laughs> the brutal truth. You can be a follower of Jesus and live absolutely hopeless. You'll, you'll still be fine. I mean, you'll still go to heaven and Jesus still loves you just the same, but you won't experience hope because you're not living based on that. You're still defining yourself by other things. Strip it away. This is my encouragement to you and to me. Today, today, look at your life and ask this question. What am I defining my life by? What is that next thing? Why am I looking forward to something else? God, help me find contentment and peace and power right now because if I have that, I don't have to patch hope up anymore. I can live with no strings attached, no fears because I'm more than fine. I'm whole, presented, blameless, holy, and complete before God. This is not just your destiny. It's who you are right now. If you are someone who has never put your faith in Jesus, make an unabashed appeal to you. It's really a smart thing to do. If there is a God out there, if he made you for himself, if he came to earth and died for you, if he offers you a relationship with him, if the millions of people who have followed him and found that to be true or right, then you have the answer to the discontent in your soul. If you're exploring that, if you're wondering more about that, come talk to one of us after the service. I'd love you to find the power of that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, for what you do for us. Because we have great difficulty following you well. And yet you remain faithful, constant, encouraging. You speak these wonderful, powerful words to us. You remind us that our estrangement is all over and that we are now connected with you. You focus us on what we have that can never be lost. Lord, help us today to let that sink deeper and deeper. And so, contentment reigns. Peace reigns. And now we can live with power. Not because we have to, not because there's anything to prove, because we are well and whole. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.